So John and Janet are in their 50s. And uh, like everyone else I'm going to mention here, uh, they do not attend Christ Church. Uh, I have changed their names. And as a matter of fact, I've changed enough details that they would likely not recognize themselves if they heard this. Uh, but the essence of what I'm sharing is true, and it's not secondhand to me. These are all things that all people that I know, these are all um, essentially uh, absolutely true accounts. So John and Janet uh, are in their 50s. And um, uh, John, uh, a few weeks ago, John has taken the vaccine. Janet has not had the vaccine. A few weeks ago, John was exposed to covid and uh, while asymptomatic, he infected Janet. While she was asymptomatic, she traveled a few states away to visit her daughter and son-in-law. Her daughter was most of the way through a high-risk pregnancy. And while Janet was visiting, uh, she infected her daughter, her son-in-law, their other three children, and their favorite babysitter, all of whom got COVID. Uh, Janet's daughter-in-law, or excuse me, daughter and son-in-law were furious, and uh, they sort of kicked her out. She was then quarantining in a hotel, and nobody was talking with anybody. Mark and Maggie are also in their 50s. They also have three children. Uh, a while ago, year and a half ago, one of their daughters uh, announced that she was gender fluid and that she had no interest in continuing in a relationship with her parents. And uh, when we heard from them at Christmas last, we got a card they were now talking about their two children, not their three children. Steve and Deanne uh, live in Illinois and describe themselves as moderate Republicans. Steve's brother and sister-in-law live in Boston. And according to Steve, they are deep, 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 deep blue. Uh, they are liberals. However, Steve's brother's employer is about to go public, and Steve's brother is about to make a lot of money. And consequently, Steve's brother has announced that they are leaving Massachusetts to move to another state that is red. And Steve is furious. He is demanding that his brother stay in Boston and pay for his crazy liberal policies. They are talking to each other, but only just barely. So I can go on. <laughs> uh, we could look at statistics about how polarized the country is at this moment. I could talk about other fractured families um, and about churches that are dividing over politics. And I can personalize this to Christ Church and just talk about myself and note that um, uh, in the not-too-distant past, I have been accused of being both woke and of being a member of the Klan. So, as you know, it is tense out there. And for that matter, it's a bit tense in here. A few weeks ago, I started uh, to track what I have dubbed uh, the Ambient Anger Index. 
And uh, I sort of suggest that, that we are all carrying cups around and the cups are full of anger. And some people's cups are so full of anger that if you bump them, they spill all over you. Other people's cups have very little anger. They tend not to spill. And some people have no anger at all. And so it's impossible for them to spill on other people. My point is, there's a whole lot of spilling going on right now. Um, and yet, our passage today calls for something different. So this is John 17, the high priestly prayer, prayer that Jesus is praying just before he uh, is going to head, essentially, to his crucifixion uh, and resurrection. And so it's, it's a prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. This is Jesus praying. He's not just praying for the 11. He prayed for himself. He's now saying, I'm not just praying for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's all of us. Uh, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the whole world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought uh, to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this is a pretty simple, um, straightforward uh, passage. There are four things to note. First of all, Jesus is praying for our unity. Uh, secondly, his prayer is not that everyone everywhere gets along. That would be nice. That would be really nice. And as we have noted, there's a whole lot of lack of unity out there. There's a whole lot of disagreement and fights and, and warfare and all kinds of tension. But this prayer is not that everyone everywhere gets along. Jesus is specifically praying for his followers. He is praying that Christ followers get along with each other. Number three, he holds up his relationship with the Father uh, as the model, as the template for our relationship with each other that we will get along just as uh, they get along. And finally, fourth, he notes that he is praying for this unity so that those on the outside may look on and, uh, and, and sort of that Jesus' ministry, his claims will all be validated. So there's a sense in which Jesus is putting his reputation on the line uh, around our unity. So what does that mean for us? Well, um, look, we're not the first to take up the, the, the discussion of unity. This topic has been going on for, uh, for centuries and centuries. Um, and if you've read the New Testament, you know that there are all manner of uh, passages that address the topic of unity. Uh, for instance, you, you know that there are, there are lots of illustrations of a lack of unity. We have the famous fallout between, uh, between Paul and Peter that uh, is, is evidenced in, first, or in Acts chapter 15 and following. They eventually get that, uh, that conflict worked out. We have the conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and they're falling out. And, and they will, uh, that's also in Acts, they will not get that one worked out. Uh, you also know that there is counsel uh, to leaders in the church. 
uh, to, um, to be careful that there are issues that cannot be compromised, right? That, that they need, that leaders need to be on guard against false teachers and against false doctrines and against wolves, right? That uh, there's caution out there. So there, so there, are, there are things worth fighting over. There are things that we, there are places where we have to draw a line, but uh, there's a whole lot of counsel in the New Testament that is calling on us to find ways for Christians to get together, to stay together. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul prays for the whole church to work together to help Yodia and Syntyche uh, to work through their quarrel and disagreement. In, um, in Galatians 3, we're told that in Jesus, in Christ, right, that, that when we are in Christ, there is to be um, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Uh, in other words, that none of the divisions that so commonly divide people, you know, class, race, uh, economics, education, geography, all these kinds of things, that these are not to be divisions uh, that keep us apart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul appeals to his readers uh, to agree with one another that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Um, so if we step back from sort of the big picture, all the counsel in the, the, the New Testament in particular about unity and about how we're to think about this, we, we, we basically surface three questions. First of all, who are we supposed to be unified with? <laughs> Secondly, what are we supposed to be unified about? And third, how are we supposed to pull this off? So let's take these one at a time. Number one, who are we supposed to be unified with? So um, as noted earlier, there's all kinds of calls for, uh, for you know, political or civil unity and, and embrace. Uh, those are not our concern today. The call in John 17 is within the church. So now many people when they're having these discussions about unity, go very specifically down the path of looking at unity between churches. And uh, I understand that. Um, after all, there are so many churches out there, and they often do not appear to get along, and Jesus is praying that his followers get along. So, uh, as you may know, that when the early church got started, there was like a church in a town in Jerusalem or in Galatia or in Philippi or, you know, in, in Corinth. And there were often, uh, initially these were house churches, and then as they got bigger there would be other house churches. And, and as opposed to having one pastor over a house church, eventually you end up with a bishop in the area that's sort of the pastor of the church, however many small group or small congregations or house churches or whatever nomenclature you want to use, however many of them there were, there was a sense that they were one church and there was a, um, there was a bishop who was over that region. Now, over time, uh, there began to be uh, division. So there was always disagreement. There's always disagreement. Right? There's always things that people are not agreeing on. Uh, good night. You, you've got, you know, well, I was going to say you've got Cub fans and White Sox fans. I'm not sure how many Cubs fans there are still at this point in the season. But you've got all kinds of, uh, of, 
of secondary issues that people are not agreeing on, or all sorts of non-theological issues that people are not agreeing on. But at some point, there starts to be splits. So the first big split takes place in the 11th century, and this is the split between the East and the West in the Roman Empire. So the East located up in Constantinople. This is, the, this is the Orthodox Church, capital O, Orthodox Church. And then the West, uh, Western Church located in Rome. Uh, and, and this is often referred to as the Catholic Church, Catholic meaning universal. Roman Catholic Church being a particular denomination. But this is, this sort of, only happens and only gets recognized that way when there is a split in the 11th century, and it's ostensibly over use of icons, but it's really about who has power. Uh, then four or 500 years later, the church uh, in the West is going to is gonna split. The church in the East is going to start to divide around uh, geography and languages and culture. church in the West is going to split when Martin Luther uh, on October 31st, 1517, nails the 95 Theses to the door in the church in Wittenberg. He is a Catholic priest, monk, professor. He's calling on the, the, the Roman Catholic Church to, uh, to reform itself, and that leads to uh, the Reformation. And um, then there's, there's further divisions that are going to take place uh, within the Protestant Movement. So this is what Luther launches. So there will be Lutherans that will follow him. There will be um, there will be Reformed or Calvinists that will go a different direction because they disagree on uh, some church polity. They disagree over the nature of of the sacraments. Uh, they're going to disagree on a couple other things. And then you're also going to have a, a third group, the Anabaptists, and a meeting again. So the Lutherans and the Calvinists are about, they, they sort of side at this point with infant baptism. Not true of, all, <laughs> true of all Lutherans today, not true of all Calvinists today. But the Anabaptists are those who want people to be rebaptized. If they were baptized as an infant, they need to be baptized as, in believer's baptism. And then that group is going to, uh, all of these groups are going to split continue to sort of go different directions. Then you're going to have the church in England that's going to join a little bit later on in the reform movement, and then it's going to split, uh, and, and it's, it's going to become, uh, you're going to have Puritans who don't believe that the Anglican church, the Church of England, has reformed far enough, uh, and then the, Pil or, excuse me, the Puritans are going to further, further split, and you're going to end up with the separatist Puritans, also called the Pilgrims. Some of them are going to come to the United States in the uh, 17th century and, and uh, seek their religious freedom here. And so you just have uh, this ongoing cascade of uh, divisions. So let me note, um, it's not as bad as some people think it is. So denominations uh, are at least this is in theory what is supposed to be happening. Denominations are, are um, recognized by those who say, we agree with each other on all the important items, on all the most central doctrines. We agree. We disagree on a number of things that actually we can't completely ignore because you think we should meet on Saturday, we think we should meet on Sunday, you think we should have elders, you think you should have bishops. We have to sort of decide on some of these things. 
So we're going to meet separately, but only speak well of each other. So, um, so the, the divisions, if, if, when churches are getting along, uh, then it's not a big deal. And today, because um, used to be that we all lived in echo chambers. People don't like echo chambers. The fact of the matter is we've always had echo chambers. Echo chambers tended to be geographical. And so if you lived in a certain area, you, that, there was an echo chamber there. And you realize that when, if you were in New England, you went to, you know, Mississippi. Or if you were in California, you went to the Midwest. And you would realize, okay, people think differently. There's, you know, there's a, a number of cultural and other kind of nuances here. We don't see things eye to eye. Uh, so we've always had our echo chambers. Now the echo chambers are not geographical. Uh, people living in the same house can be, can be living in their own separate echo chambers, listening to different news sources, reading different magazines, whatever, and just be completely independent of each other. And so, and so it used to be that churches in an area, you know, probably could be, should be reaching the same people because it was more, the echo chamber was more geographic. Now there's so many different groups. Churches often are organizing around the most effective ways to share the gospel with people that don't know Christ. So, look, as a church, we have for a long time been committed to helping other churches. There are lots of good churches or congregations, whatever term you want to use, out there. We want to see them win. We, we try to help them. We give resources to them. We're praying for them. We want, to see, we want to see churches that are focused on Jesus and that are preaching the gospel grow and thrive. It just does not have to be, you know, the, the, the congregation, the Christ Church campuses that we're involved in. So there's more unity out there perhaps than, than, um, than, than you might think. Um, but I don't want to talk about that today. I want us to think about unity within this church. Unity within Christ Church. Unity as, as this movement that now is four campuses plus an online campus. How is it that we hold things together? So, um, let me note that uh, we align, we are to align around the fundamental doctrines and, uh, and to that end, we speak a lot about uh, things, as I'm just going to mention. And uh, we are to be aligned around a mission. So, uh, this is question number two. What does it mean to be unified? What are we agreeing about? Are there things that, uh, if we don't agree, we have to part ways? So, the essence of this is, um, <laughs> tragically, yes, there are things where we have to agree. Uh, and so we would, we would hold up the creeds. We would hold up the Apostles' Creed and say, th these are non-negotiables to us, right? If, you, if you're not affirming uh, that, you know, I believe in the God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, if you're, if you're not affirming, right, these, these basic essential doctrines, it's, it's not the Christian faith. And so uh, we do say... Uh, that there are things that we, that we have to insist on. And so uh, the language that I have used for a number of years is the fence posts. And the idea of fence posts is that, um, you know, if, if there's a field and you put in uh, a bunch of fence posts, then you can connect and create in the middle of that 
in the, inside the fence, right, you can create a safe zone. And, and statements of faith are all about where you place the fence posts and how many fence posts you have. And if you have relatively few fence posts, then you, you tend to have a big safe zone. If you have lots and lots and lots of fence posts, then you connect them all, you get much smaller zone uh, inside the fence. And if you don't have enough fence posts, then you're not creating the safe zone inside. So I've used that language and said, look, there are things that we absolutely uh, need, to, um, need to insist upon. And you see those as we talk about um, as we talk about the Apostles' Creed, as we talk about the essence of the Christian faith, these are not up for negotiation. There are things right, that I would say that, that I absolutely uh, say, yeah, I, I sort of die on these points. Now, additionally, as a church, as a collection of churches, there are things that we say, we align around these. Um, and it's just because, you, you know, Local congregations can't do absolutely everything. Now, people within the congregation can choose to invest their time, their resources, their talents, their gifts in doing a lot of different things, but those things may not rise to the level of what the whole church is going to organize around. And so we have said, you know, our, our vision is to fuel a movement that is going to reach people and renew communities, right? We want to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. And so under that, we most recently had this REACH campaign. And in the REACH campaign, we said we want to, uh, first of all, we want to, we want to reach people. And we're going to measure that with baptisms. So we want to see 500 baptisms. And we're, we want to start new churches. We're going to start 10 new uh, communities of grace, hope, and love. And we think six of these are going to be, uh, are going to be overseas. And so we were involved in planting uh, churches uh, in in India and in Ghana and in another Middle Eastern country, and then uh, we said we want to start campuses here, and that was that led to the Vernon Hills campus, and it led to us to invest in the online campus, and then we also said we want to see we're going to measure the the engagement of serving, we're going to measure that with a hundred thousand service hours, and so we organized around certain things, which doesn't mean that you know these are not things to fight over; they're just you know. Uh, are there things we're trying to be aligned about? The do or die things go with the statement uh, of faith. They go with uh, the Apostles' Creed. And then we have alignment around mission and vision. Um, that leads to question three. How do we pull this off? Like how in a church, how especially in a church that now has four or five campuses, depending upon how you count. How do we pull this off? How do we get along with people who don't think like us? How do we get along with people who uh, are in different, um, different political parties? How do we get along with people who think differently about educational issues, right? How do we get along? Because, uh, look, it's, it's clear uh, that, that we are expected to get along. Our unity in Jesus is supposed to be so prevailing. Our identity in terms of who we are is supposed to not be, first of all, I am a, my profession or I am a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm a this or I'm a that. My identity, we're going to look at this this fall, my identity is to be grounded profoundly in what God thinks about me. And, uh, and, and, and in Jesus, and then secondarily, tertiarily, 
in these other issues. So um, we need to understand that, um, that we are expected to be unified. As a matter of fact, what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4 suggests that we are unified. What we're to do, we are unified in Christ. What we are to do is to not break up that unity. And the other thing to note as, as we look at this is we're also to understand, while there's lots of calls for uh, us to get along, uh, what Jesus does in John 17 is pray for our unity, which, um, which suggests that he thinks it's going to be hard. Uh, so how do we do this? Well, I want to give you four things. I want to give you four specific uh, things that I think you can do around being unified in Christ church. And so, you know, you, you, the, the fact that there are 30,000 denominations in the world is not something that you personally are, are likely to be able to, to do anything about. But getting along uh, in your small group, getting along in your family, getting along in this church is something that you can. So let me say four things. Number one, run towards Jesus and his mission. Like, Move towards Jesus and his kingdom. Get as close to him as you can. Remind yourself frequently that it's all about Jesus and what he wants, and it's not about us and what we want. Preach the gospel to yourself first. It's my experience that I am most likely to start drawing lines in the sand when I'm spending too much time looking in and not enough time looking at Jesus. It's my experience that I'm most likely to start to become uh, divisive or to participate in the divisiveness of others, to start to live in a world that gets smaller and smaller, uh, to start to get engaged in intramural struggles that don't ultimately matter or glorify Christ or speak well of his reputation. It's my experience that those things happen when I, when I start looking down and start looking in as opposed to looking at Jesus and looking at what he has called us to do. There are real issues out there. There are real struggles out there. There are eternal matters at hand. And we can get all wrapped up in things that just don't matter. I, I learned this as a, in, in like my second year as a college pastor. Uh, it was at an old church close to a college campus. And uh, I had an office on the third floor. And as the, as the ministry started to grow, uh, started to hire other staff and interns, and we had this, we had this relatively small um, space uh, off of a balcony that was ours. And as the church began to grow, they needed more space. And so the, that space was sort of serving two purposes. It was also a Sunday school classroom for, uh, for middle school girls. So one day uh, I came up to the office and it had been decorated for middle school girls. Okay, so our offices, suddenly, lots of pink, Lots of rainbow ponies, you know, lots of these kinds of, just lots of kind of, oh my goodness. And uh, so we took all that down. <laughs> and the next week it was back up. And we took all that down. 
And I called the person and said, look, you know, we're in here five, six days a week. You're in here for an hour. This is our space. We need it. And they said, no, it's first of all, it's Sunday school space. And so, so I was thinking, I was feeling that way. And I went on a mission trip. Um, and was out of the country for, for a, a week, 10 days, and was, was in a position where I was around a lot of people who were struggling over real issues. And when I came back and saw the, you know, the pink ponies, I was like, who cares? Like, I am not, my life is not going to be <laughs> de- described, um, defined. My mission is not going to be defined by the office that I'm in. Like, I got no time for these small issues. So run to Jesus and the things that matter to Jesus. Number two, be very nervous about creating divisions or joining them. Be very nervous uh, about thinking you are better or more righteously aligned than others in the church. Be very nervous when you find yourself thinking that you are smarter, more holy, more generous, more righteous, a better small group leader, a better prayer, a better something. Be very nervous for your own spiritual well-being as well as the well-being of others when you start to think that you are better than some other Christian in some way. The people who caused the biggest divisions in the first century were those who thought they were the best. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious right of the Jewish world. It was a group of people who Jesus will repeatedly go after, and he will repeatedly tell them that they are wrong. They thought they were better than everybody else because they were trying harder to be good. Jesus talks about them And he goes on and on about how much they are fundamentally missing the big point. I am not saying there is not a right path. Again, there is a right path. There is a creed. There are are historic creeds that we say we absolutely have got to line up around these. There are lines that we can't cross. But wow, do we need to be careful here. Number three. Give others the benefit of the doubt. I am exhausted by uh, all the pundits, all the the talking heads, all the talk radio uh, announcers, all the people who who seem to go out of their way to treat others (laughs) not in the way they want to be treated, right? Who misrepresent the views of others. I think somebody important said uh, that we should treat others the way that we want to be treated, right? The golden rule. I'm, I'm being a little snarky. This is Jesus who says this, right? So in debates, in disagreements, as you're trying to figure out what's going on, right, uh, be very careful to make certain that you understand the views the other people actually hold and that you're not being sucked down a wormhole of people who are misleading you People who are, who are making the, the worst representation of the other person's view. Are there people that have views that are wrong, that are evil? That, right, yes, 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 absolutely. Oh my goodness, we've got to be very slow to go there. 20 years ago, I was discouraged about the church. Um, not just Christ church, I was discouraged about the big C church. And I had an opportunity to talk with John Stott. So on a 
trip that he was leading. We were in Africa, and I said, I see so much in the church that I don't like. <laughs> I see so much in the church that I don't like. I see so many people who have a prominent platform that are saying nonsense. I said, how, Dr. Stott, how do you deal with this? And he said, well, look, um, First, the first thing, he said, you cannot go after everything. And he says, if you see somebody that you think is misguided, misdirected, believes things that are wrong, then you need to, you need to lovingly go to them. And you need to try and explain the truth, but you first need to listen to them. And there are times when you can help correct them and bring them to truth. There are times when you will understand, oh, I was the one that was wrong. There are times when you will understand their views are being radically misrepresented by other people. And he said, there are times when you can say, this person says this. This is wrong. I met with them. I spoke with them. They say this. They say Jesus isn't the only way. They say whatever they say. And he goes, then you can have that conversation with other people and you can warn them. But he said, we've got to be very, very careful about repeating some of the nonsense that is out there. And there's so much misrepresentation of other people's views. And doggone it, some people come to me and they're complaining about <laughs> the other side, whatever the other side is. And then they're guilty uh, of they're mad that their views are being misrepresented in the same conversation they misrepresent the views of other people. So we have got to be better than that. And then finally, the last thing that I'll say is uh, choose to be unoffendable, right? There's so, people are, it's such, get such triggers right now, and they're so easily offended, and they're calling microaggressions, and they're shutting conversations down, and, and storming out of rooms, and no, 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 choose to be unoffendable. There's a book out. I have handed out 20 copies. I'll probably hand out more, although I'm offending people when I hand out the copies of the book. It's written by Bran Hansen. Uh, Bran Hansen is um, an author. He's a disc jockey, and uh, the book is very light, uh, written in a very sing-song kind of fashion. He's a radio disc jockey, and he doesn't try and be something other than that. But he said he was initially offended when somebody told him that he shouldn't be offended. And so he went to Scripture to find all the verses that suggested that he should be quick to get angry and that he should uh, have a lot of pride. And, uh, of, of course, he discovered that they weren't there. And he discovered, to his surprise, that he could simply choose to not be offended by things that people were saying. And I want to encourage you. There's great freedom there. <laughs> There's great freedom there. Right? You can choose to be offended when somebody says that you're this or that. Right? Or you can just say, wow, I, that comes probably from a person that is frustrated or confused or hurt or having a bad day or whatever. And I'm just going to choose to move on. I'm, I'm not going to escalate. I'm going to de-escalate. We need people who can see clearly the things that matter and the things that don't. We have been called, not only have we been called, we have been told that Christ is putting his reputation on the line for our ability to get along with each other. And uh, so, thank you to all of you who are working hard to get along. Thank you for all of you who are choosing to be unoffendable. Thank you for all of you who are choosing to say, these are the things that matter, these are the things that matter to Jesus, I'm going to be about these things and I'm going to move forward. 
Um, that's the way forward. That's what Jesus prayed for. Let's stay together in Christ's name. Heavenly Father, we set before you um, this call to unity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our um, intercessor and that you are uh, praying for us and that you are praying um, that we will be holy. You're praying that we will, uh, that we will be mission-minded. You are praying um, that, that we are going to be shaped by truth, and you are praying for our unity. Uh, may we be the kind of humble, Christ-focused people uh, who are patient with each other and who find ways to get along that are pleasing to you and bring glory to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.